I've, I've got to think uh, as we were singing that song that there will not be any moment in your existence quite like almost home has become home. Man, I think more than ever in my life, I am looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey friends, what more could God have done for us than what he has done for us in Christ Jesus? I woke up this morning, sometimes this happens to me, and there's just a verse on my mind. Uh, and it was uh, when Jesus was welcoming back the uh, uh, apostles after he had sent them out, and they were t- talking about all sorts of stuff, things that they had taught and things that they had seen. And Jesus said, hey, uh, paraphrasing him a little bit, if you're going to rejoice over anything, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. One of my aims this morning is to stir us up that we are more grateful this morning if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life than ever. Can, can we take a moment and you just do this with me? Can you just look around at the other human beings in the room? I'm watching you do it for a moment. Some of you did that and some of you just kept looking at me, which is fine. Now, here, here's my question. What kind of rose up in your heart as you did that? Might have said, I, I'm not quite sure who that is. And there's one of the people that has really stuck by me in my life. You know, this is, this is your church. And I really do believe that the rejoicing that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life and your love for the people in the room with you have a whole lot to do with each other. Now, I'm so grateful that God has given me the privilege of being the pastor here, kind of hard for me to even say, for 15 years. Y'all really called this young guy to be a pastor, right? I mean, 15 years ago. And so, in reflection of 15 years, you've likely read in the bulletin, and we rescheduled a couple times that we're, or one time, this morning is about a prayer and vision. 15 years ago, I was alone with the Lord, and I made this confession. Father, I really need some help. You've called me to be a pastor of a precious church family, and if I'm honest, I just need some help knowing what that means. So, I specifically asked God, I want to be a man of your word, and I want to do anything that I do to be rooted in scripture. Would you please give me a passage that can be an anchor for my soul? And God faithfully did that, and that's actually where I want us to begin, is in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Where the Apostle Peter writes this about what it means to be an elder, to be a pastor. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So here's the exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And over 15 years, I don't know how many times I've come back to that passage and said, God, help me. This is what you say a a pastor is. The verbs. You know, when you study the Bible, you always want to pay attention to all the words, but the verbs help us understand what the commands are. The first one there in verse 2, shepherd. What does that mean? Shepherd means lead and guide, direct, help, correct, right? What, what is a, has anybody ever actually kept sheep? Right. Shepherding is, is leading and, and guiding. 
unto that which protects and defends and provides. Then, then we have the verb exercising oversight. means gives leadership. A shepherd uh, should be able to answer the question. Remember all the way back in Genesis, God's first question. Where are you? And that's what I would want us to ask together as a church family today. Where are we, right? Don't know where you need to go unless you know where you are. Ever looked at a map? First thing you got to do is say, where are we on the map, right? The call to exercise oversight goes back to Jesus' command for us to watch and pray. Those two things go together. What does watch mean? Now look around. What's going on in the world? What's going on in the life of our church? And then, and then pray. That's exercising oversight, as it, as it were. And I want to say this morning as a pastor, trying to live humbly in light of this passage, I think there's some challenges for our church in the days to come. And I think there are some opportunities for our church in the day to come. And I don't know quite how to articulate it other than to say, I think they're kind of bound up together. Do you know what I mean? Like we can't quite separate the challenges from the opportunities. They, they, they go together. Reaching the next generation. Y'all, I think we'd all probably agree with this statement that I'm about. The world has changed. I mean, 15 years ago, we don't even go that bad. The world has changed in 15 years. The, the challenges and the opportunities. So I want you to know God's given us a glorious promise. He's going to be with us. Isn't that good news? He's not left us to figure it out. I'm no cultural expert. But what I want to do this morning is put before us, in the same way we can open up our Bibles and we get informed here what a pastor is from God's perspective, we can do the same thing when it comes to asking from God's perspective, what is a healthy church? And I want us to study that together this morning. And then on the other side of that, just share some of the things that we got to figure out by God's grace together. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And then as or when you found Acts 9, I'm just going to invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture. Acts chapter 9, verse number 31. So the church... Right, so we're talking about the church. Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I'm so grateful to belong to Jesus. So grateful that my sins are forgiven. My eternity is secure in the Lord. And on top of that, you've added the blessing for us to be together in a church family. So we ask for your grace, your help. Father, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is plan A for you to advance the gospel in the world. And there is no plan B. So with that understanding, we know that oh, the, we have a spiritual enemy who regularly has, is, and will come against our church. May we be found faithful in understanding from your perspective what a church is. And that's what I want in my life, to be a part of the church that you've blessed us with as we walk together in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I recently took an airplane trip, and I'm not an uh, airplane passenger panicker. Whatever is kind of two levels down from that, I, I don't love it. I get motion sick, get claustrophobic, and I can kind of talk myself into getting wigged out a little bit pretty fast. When I got on the airplane in Raleigh, uh, was there three hours early like I normally am, but, but got on the flight, got my seat, buckled in, and we leave the gate, and then we sit there. And you know what I mean when I say this? We sat there long enough that I realized we had been sitting here too long. And the uh, captain comes over the speaker and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a maintenance issue and we're having that checked out. So, wow, good to know. 
thought maybe we'd do that before we got on the plane. But, you know, I don't, I don't know all the information. So we sit there for 45 minutes. Now, I've told you before that I'm all about time and schedules, and I've already got things lined up on the other end, and now I've got to adjust. But that's just how it goes. Comes back on, maintenance issue has been addressed. We're ready to go. I said, great. So take, take off. I do some reading. We're flying. We're coming in for the landing. And we've come down, and I look out the window, and we're getting real close to the ground, and I'm already feeling a little relieved. The flight is almost over. When? I'm, I'm in, expecting a little bump, you know. The plane rockets back up. Stomach in my feet, and I say to myself, what in the world is going on? Now, I told you I'm not an airplane panicker, but I start thinking, I had a maintenance issue in Raleigh. Now we're coming in for a landing, and we just sort of, and so we get no information. I kind of looking around the other people. They all seem fine. I'm kind of holding it together, like, what is going on? Finally, the captain comes back on and says, ladies and gentlemen, when we were approaching the runway, we got a notification that the landing gear was not down. We're checking on it now. <sighs> Heart rate, 185, calm down, comes back. Good news, everyone. Just been notified. The alert system was malfunctioning, not the landing gear. And I thought to myself, are you 100%, are you 100% sure? How do, how do you know? How do you know, right, that the alert system was malfunctioning and not the landing gear? Well, as you probably already anticipate, came back in, smooth landing. I did clap. I was the only one. But, I'm, you know, people, people get mad at people who clap. I clapped. I gave a, you know, just out of, out of relief, right? So, uh, Given that illustration because, man, when we open up the New Testament and God gives warnings to his people, the alert system is never malfunctioning. If he warns us about something, we need to really pay attention to it. And God gives us consistent warnings to the churches in the New Testament. You can drift. You can uh, leave your first love, for example. And we need to pay attention to those, to those warnings. And what we have here. Is, uh, is a little bit of what I might call a warning passage, but it's also a promise passage in Acts chapter 9. It says in verse 31, oh, I love this. This is what a beautiful picture. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Notice the verb tense, something they possessed. They had peace and was being built up. That's something that's ongoing. It means they're maturing. They're, they're growing. Man, to be able to look over 15 years of, uh, of church life and see so much that God has built up. And then, and then walking, so this again is ongoing, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So let me pause here and ask this question. What, what is a church? What are we as a church called to do? What are the priorities from God's perspective that we as his people must do? In other words, if you kind of remove them, essentials from the life of a church, kind of from God's perspective at least, ceases to be a church no matter what we call ourselves. Does that make sense? And I'm just telling you that because throughout the New Testament, we get warnings that churches can cease to function really in the world as a church and kind of grow into something else. Another way of, uh, of kind of consolidating the warnings in the New Testament when it comes to churches is churches can cease to be spirit-led and begin to be self-led. Right. Now, the best time to pay attention to warnings is ahead of time, right? And that's what I'm warning us about. I believe in the generation that is to come, many, many churches are going to forfeit what I'm about to tell you a church has to maintain. Does that make sense? So verse 31 is a uh, summary. So the church throughout all Judea had these things. So verse 31 is summarizing the paragraph that's come right before it. So 
we are going to learn why the church was multiplying, why the church was, uh, had peace, and why the church was being built up from verses 26 through 30. And as we do that, we're going to see here the call to what we have to have as a, as a church family. So, verse 26, he, the he, by the way, is the apostle Paul earlier in Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus has come to faith in Christ. You remember, he went to Damascus with one plan to, uh, to arrest folks, and Jesus met him on the way and transformed his life. So now he's coming back to Jerusalem. Notice what happens. He came, had come to Jerusalem. He attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Okay, so we get the details in one paragraph, the summary in the next. So let's talk for just a few minutes. What, what's true about this church? So I'm going to tell you what's true, and then we'll understand where the attacks will come from against the church in the next generation. Number one, they, the spirit-led church is compassionate. Spirit-led church is compassionate. Now, just want to say very clearly, when we talk about the church, we're talking about you. We're talking about me. The church is not this building. The church is this people. So when I say the Spirit-led church is compassionate, I am saying that you're to be compassionate. I'm to be compassionate. So let me just give you a simple definition of compassion. A compassionate follower of Jesus has deep love and empathy for the hurting, the lonely, the broken the weak, and the abused. Can I say that one more time? A compassionate follower of Jesus has deep love and empathy for the hurting, the lonely, the broken, the weak, and the abused. It is one of the words we hear commonly attributed to Jesus. Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had, help me all, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Can I encourage you in this way? This is how you should view the world around you. Not complaining that they're harassed and helpless, but having compassion because they are harassed and helpless. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus' great, two greatest, well, I think two of his greatest parables, I was going to say the two greatest parables, and maybe they are, but uh, the, the uh, Good Samaritan, uh, Pharisee, or, or a priest rather, passes by, Levite passes by, but the Samaritan, when he saw the man who had been robbed, came, he had compassion on him and then sacrificed. Compassion, y'all, always leads to action. And then the parable of the prodigal. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and raced to him and hugged him and kissed him and said, this son of mine who was dead is now alive. The spirit-led church is compassionate. You know, oftentimes if we're talking about watch and pray. One of the things that's been most clear in recent days in our culture is a diminishing compassion for one another. Now, I'm saying this because that's happening in the world. It cannot happen in the church. The culture around us has normalized harshness. We disagree with somebody. We've normalized mocking people, especially those who do not agree with us. Uh, now, now it, it ought, in some measure, not be surprising to see nastiness or mocking spew out of the people who have never known the kindness of God in Christ Jesus. But it's pretty stunning to see how a harsh a person can be who says they beheld and bowed down to the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. 
compassion. It does not say of Jesus when he saw the crowds, he had antipathy for them because they could not get their act together. Or, or when he saw the crowds, he railed at them because they were not as moral as they should be. Now, in this passage, where are we getting this from? Who is in need of compassion in Mark chapter 9? And I want you to see that the danger to the church is, is, is outlined right here. When he, that's Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. What does that mean? He tried to do something and it didn't happen. And we're not given the details, but I think about this a lot. What did that look like, right? What did that look like for Saul of Tarsus to attempt to join the disciples and not be able to? Well, we're not given the details, so I don't want to speculate. But it probably looks like something like a closed door. No place at the table. We're not told the details, but some way, shape, or form, his attempt was met with a no. We're told why. They were all afraid of him. With good reason, right? I mean, it might be that they've got it in their mind that he's, uh, this is a subtle strategy of Saul to kind of get in, and once he's in, to go and arrest them or harm them. I mean, this is the church in Jerusalem that not too long before Acts chapter 9, one of their most faithful members was Stephen. You remember what happened to Stephen? And you remember that Saul stood there and applauded and held everybody's robe while they hurled stones. So, so on one hand, we're kind of understanding for their lack of compassion. But on the other hand, think of what's really going on here. They were hesitant to believe Saul could be transformed. But do you know who believes that God can transform somebody's life? We're, we're given a little hint here in verse 27. Do you know who believes God can transform somebody's life? Somebody whose life has been transformed. Do you know who's compassionate to other people? Somebody who has understood and received the compassion of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Have, have you been a recipient of Christ's compassion for you? Here's Barnabas. Changes the trajectory of the church. How many of you would say, uh, when we see what Barnabas, he comes alongside and welcomes Saul in. How many of you have had a Barnabas in your life? Barnabas was not the name his parents gave him. His name, given name was Joseph, but the church in Jerusalem said, hey, we're going to call you Barnabas. It's a nickname. It means son of encouragement. How many of you got somebody in your life that encourages you? Shows compassion to you most likely, right? The church needs Barnabases. What's the plural of Barnabas? Barnabai? I don't know. We need Barnabai, right? And so many of you uh, have so f consistently demonstrated this same spirit that Barnabas has. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, as your pastor, as your, as your shepherd, trying to give oversight, the spirit of the world is diametrically opposed to you having the spirit of Barnabas. You got to be careful with this. I'm just telling you, if you're just 24-7 news cycle, social media cycle, it's having an effect on our souls. And one of the things that's making us is increasingly harsh. And I'm just asking you, as a church, we, we need to understand that this is a danger for us is to kind of put up the walls, close ourselves off, and keep them out. But Barnabas, I love these verbs, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how he had preached boldly. Now, uh, this is before Saul of Tarsus writes Romans, plants a church, does much of anything. Can you just think with me? What's it kind of at stake? Now, I know that God's sovereign and God had already promised, I will show Saul what he must suffer and he had a plan. I, I understand all of that. But can you think for a moment what, uh, what's at stake here if verse 26 doesn't follow up with verse 27? Now, I'll tell you what's at stake. Without verse 27, there is no verse 31. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no more fear of the Lord, no more comfort of the Holy Spirit, no more multiplying, no more furtherance 
of the gospel. Compassion. I used to say, um, I used to always think compassion always leads to action. But I'm going to take it a step further this morning. Compassion always leads to uncomfortable action. Frequently criticized by the religious. Now what happens here? Now what happened with the Good Samaritan? Now what happened with the prodigal? When the compassion is displayed, the compassion that was displayed will always be criticized. So that's a call for us. We're going to have thick skin knowing that people will criticize your extending of compassion. Now the church is compassionate, but I want us to see that's not all the church is. Because the Spirit-led church, yes, is compassionate, but second, the Spirit-led church is courageous. And another way of saying it might be that the Spirit-led church has conviction. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Paul himself will say in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open up a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it bold, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Right? So where do we get that? Well, we get it right here. Verse 28, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Well, I defined compassion. Let's define courage. Courage, a courageous Christian desires to stand firm on the truth and not compromise the word of God. Now, I love this example from the Apostle Paul. There's a little phrase here, verse 28. So he went in. Kind of what we're doing right now. You're all in here. What have we come in here to do? Hear the word, sing songs, study scripture, pray, love one another. But notice what happens. He went in and then what? Anybody reading with me? Verse 28. And out. Now I know over 15 years, it's probably the most common illustration I've given. Everybody breathe in. Take a deep breath in. Now what do you really want to do? Breathe out. Any church that just takes in, what will happen? Just get puffed up. Now, any church that just goes out, what will happen? You'll end up giving out, right? That's true for our, uh, any church that what you need to do is take in and go out. Come in together with those who know Jesus. Go out proclaiming the gospel to those who don't. It is never either or. It is they go to, together. What I love so much about the Apostle Paul is once he was saved, he just never got over it. One little blip on his radar, it changed everything about his life. And y'all, I don't think there's another way to be saved. I don't think there's another category. Well, that's Paul. I mean, he's super Christian. And there's, I, I don't think you can be converted to Christ and it not affect everything about your life. It's not a category of your life. And then Christ, who is your life, appears. I read this week uh, in, in a book, make it your aim to be so used by God that other people have a serious encounter with the living God. That is a fantastic desire and aim to have. Now, if compassion, kind of a, the attack or, or the relinquishing of compassion is that we would become cynical, the attack against courage is that we would become complacent. I want to give you something, I want to give you permission to do something this morning. This morning, we didn't have anybody baptized. We didn't have anybody standing there this morning saying, I have died to my old life and I have been raised by the power of God to a new life. That was also true last Sunday. And that was also true the Sunday before that. And what I want us to know is that's not normal. 
You know what I'm saying? I, I, I want you to have permission to think that needs to not happen every Sunday again and again and again. The church walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit multiplied. We got rooms for some more people in the room, right? Stretch out your hands. You don't touch anybody. Somebody can sit beside of you, right? Now, this is, I want to shepherd the flock of God exercising oversight. So, uh, I'll give this encouragement to you. I read this week, in 2023, those who go to a church for the first time, going in with the church, 6% will do that if a pastor invites them. 92% will do that if a friend invites them. You know what I mean? I want to be, I can be, a, you know what I'm saying. It takes courage to invite somebody to sit with you and come with you, doesn't it? It also takes compassion. And it also takes the third thing, which we're going to get to in, in a moment. But we can become complacent, satisfied with where we already are. A, a church that lacks courage will come in together but it'll stop going out with purpose. Preach boldly in the name of the Lord. When we lack courage, we replace our God-given mandate of making disciples and replace it with kind of a self-centered mandate of what I might call just maintenance. No pressure, just maintain as it is instead of multiplying, Amen. Think of all that we don't quite know about the church in Jerusalem. I've, I've, uh, I was born again when I was 11 years old. So I've spent a lot of time in churches. I love church. I love Sunday morning church. I love Sunday night church. I love Wednesday night. I just love to be with the church. But, but can we think for a moment, in this church, in Acts 9, all the things we don't know. What did the building look like that they gathered in? Or the home look like that they gathered in? How did they dress? How long did the sermon last? <laughs> Man, what we want to do is, see, here's what the heart of it is. And ask God to help us. Ongoing. Man, I went to bed last night, just so full of gratitude. We had the Operation Christmas Child Party Saturday morning, and just being able to be in there and seeing these gospel opportunities. We'll pray over at the end of the service going out. And then, and then, last night, a gracious man in the church invited us over to dinner, a group of us that are reading through Mark 8 and be able to listen and pray together. Man, there's so much, uh, so much of, of uh, glorious things happen in the light of life of our church, what I'm encouraging us is, is that more can be done by the Lord. Amen? More can be done. Multiplying can happen. And, and so, so you got a spirit-led church is compassionate, spirit-led church is courageous, and then third, the spirit-led church is commissioned. Verse 29, he spoke, that's Saul, and disputed against the Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? Well, that's people from a completely different culture than Saul. Different ethnicity, different language, different traditions, just kind of a different worldview. They have different ethics. They got different philosophical ideas, different sexual ethics, different ideas about what the government in Jerusalem should look like. They couldn't be any different than Saul's upbringing as a Hebrew in Tarsus. Now, that's what I love about the Apostle Paul. He does not listen to the Hellenists and say, well, let's combine some of the gospel of Jesus Christ with some of your ideas. No, he spoke to them the gospel, amen? He defends the gospel. So on one hand, he doesn't compromise the gospel, but on the other hand, he does take it to them. Now, here's where it gets real, real fast. It's not like they applaud him for doing this, verse 29. They were seeking to kill him. What does that mean? 
Well, it means that the Apostle Paul believed the gospel was for all people and all nations, and he crossed a cultural barrier for the purpose of sharing Jesus. And it was uncomfortable, it was awkward, it was tense, and it was flat-out obedience by Saul as he did those things. We cannot... uh, so, So often in my life, I have this barrier that I live with of sharing the gospel, and I walk up to that barrier, and then I hesitate to cross over. And you know what it is? The barrier where things get uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they don't see it this way. They don't agree with me this way. Well, that's happened with Saul. It wasn't just uncomfortable. It was hostile. They were seeking. That verb tense means it's ongoing. They, it didn't come and go. Their purpose was they were going to put him to, to death. But Paul lives as one who's commissioned. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And just think about all that the Apostle Paul will do from there. He will write Romans and First and Second Corinthians and plant churches sent out. One of the ways consistently we want to hold to this is let's Let's never measure the health of our church by the number of people that we can just bring in. But let's, let's measure the health of the church by how the gospel goes out. And then who we send out, he's going to go to Caesarea and then on to so many other places. Why is this? Why is this the DNA of a church? What do you think? Why are these the marks of a spirit-led church? Because, friends, this is what it means to become Christ-like. Jesus is not compassionate or courageous or commissioned. He's all of them all of the time, right? He doesn't show up in a village and say, well, today's my compassion day. Or the next day, today's my courageous day. And where does these most come together? Can we think about two, two places? Let's think about the cross together. Spirit-led church will always have a focus on the cross. Is that an act of compassion? 100%. And there's no more glorious display of compassion than when Christ is crucified. But also a great act of courage, wasn't it? I mean, everybody abandons him. We studied in Sunday school this morning, Luke chapter 23. Mocking him, railing against him. And somebody just indifferently there at the foot of the cross casting lots reminds us that in the midst of the most precious things, a lot of people just pass it by. don't even understand how magnificent things are. That And there's Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them. And why did he go, go there to begin with? Because he's commissioned. Commissioned to advance the gospel in the world. So again, he's not one of these at different times. He's all of these all of the time. But friends, we're not like that. That's why we need his help. So, kind of talked about what a spirit-led church is. Take just a couple of minutes and highlight what are some challenges a spirit-led church faces. What are some challenges that we can anticipate? Give you a few. First, I'm going to get right there from verse 26, highlighting again. He attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him. One challenge is we will be tempted to have a diminished confidence in the power of God to change people's lives. This is what I, uh, I mean, I guess encouraged is the right word about the apostles. You remember when uh, Jesus, <laughs> on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, but when they went there, they, when they got there, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And, and those women who had taken the burial spices see, Jesus, or see the angel and see that Jesus is resurrected. And then they go back to the apostles. You know what happens? They go back to the apostles and tell them everything they have seen. And here's what the Bible records in Luke 24. But it seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Uh, what? what, what the, the apostles hear that Jesus has been resurrected and they didn't believe. Friends, the, the trajectory for us to get off course will always be in line with not remembering Jesus is alive. Not trusting that he is resurrected and powerful and active. And then, we're told right here in Acts 9, when Saul is converted, they did not believe that. 
So can we confess together? We are prone to deep unbelief in the goodness and greatness of, of God. So, so one, we, number one challenge is we'll be tempted to have a diminished confidence in the power of God to change people's lives. Second, I'm going to give this warning to us. I want us to take it seriously. Uh, we, we, will forfeit, we will forfeit one of the essential traits of a church in the misguided pursuit of one of the others. I don't know if that made sense, so I want us to think it through. Let me, let me explain. What are the three essential traits for a spirit-led church? Compassion, courage, and commissioning. And here's what I mean. We will be tempted to be compassionate in the name of changing our convictions. Does that make sense? Or we will say, we're going to hold to these convictions and set aside compassion. We'll compromise the clear teachings of Scripture on the moral issues of our day in the name of being compassionate towards people and ceasing to call them to repentance. Or, instead of treating people with patience, being good listeners, instead of loving other people, we'll kind of speak the truth loudly, but not in love, in the name of being courageous. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or, We'll forsake the commissioning God has given us to make disciples of all nations in the name of just maintaining what we already have here at home. Now I want to give you a third warning. In all likelihood, you have a natural inclination. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. Put it in simple terms. You're probably strongest in your own life as a person of compassion, courage, or commissioning. You're probably strong. you just kind of naturally that way. So you'd be tempted to see others in the church who don't have that same strength as barriers instead of blessings. I think this happens. I think, I think if we're not careful, a church kind of becomes distorted as, I don't mean too compassion. You understand. Compassion, but we've sacrificed courage or commission but we're not compassion you understand what i'm trying to get at i think that can happen to churches i think flat out that can happen to whole denominations quite truthfully so god designs us to complement one another but the enemy man is so subtle so sneaky if you keep reading through the book of acts he just keeps bringing attacks on them the, the, the enemy will sneak in and you'll begin to see other people as barriers instead of blessings because this is what the reality is it takes all of us it takes the whole church to represent the whole Christ to the whole world. Now, I want to close by just giving a couple of encouragements on how we can overcome those challenges. First one's this. It's got two. You going to hang with me? Y'all good? Number one, ask God to help you love your church like he does got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Hey, this is one of the letters that Paul does write later on in his life and ministry. I was taking a walk the other day. I'm so grateful for the fall and the cool weather. I love to take a walk in the fall and, and uh, had Philippians just thinking over it. You know, the Holy Spirit can do this, and it's in line with the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can take the Scripture and bring it to bear in your life that two things happen simultaneously. You feel so convicted and so comforted at the same time. Do you know what I mean? And I'll just read it to you, and uh, I'll, I'll, there's a phrase here that just got a hold of me. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all partakers of, uh, <clears throat> with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the gospel, or defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And that was the phrase. Paul says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And when the conviction came, I, I said, I'm not sure that that's how I view my life right now. That my calling is to have the affection that Jesus Christ has for other people. Can you think with me for a moment how easily it would have been for Saul of Tarsus to throw the towel in on the church? He attempted to join them. And they said no. But instead of being cynical and say, oh, well, they're done. they don't want me, I'm done with them. People do get hurt, right? Church life is probably part of everybody's experience. There's just some, been some time, and maybe it's deep, that the church you were part of, or this church in some ways is hurt. But Saul, Paul rather says, I want to have the affection of Christ Jesus for you. I read a quote this week. I think it's C.S. Lewis who said it. He said, a thing must be loved before it's lovable. A thing must be loved before it is lovable. I think that applies so helpfully to our posture to the bride of Christ. It has to be loved, and then it'll increase in lovableness. And, and then second, my encouragement to you. I want you to aim to be used by God so that other people have a serious encounter with the living God. I was telling, um, I was telling Julie the other day, man, 15 years, and y'all have been so gracious and kind to us. So I'm going to, here's a little, little story, I guess, and then I'm going to ask for your help on something. You know, uh, one of the one of the questions that God first asked in the Bible is, where are you? I know I said that earlier. And so kind of similarly to 15 years ago, kind of getting alone with the Lord and saying, I just did that again. And I just had a big fear come up in my heart. And here's what I thought. Father, some of the things I think for me to be a good leader at this season of Calvary, I'm not sure I'm good at those kind of things. I'm not sure I'm good at it. Just being honest for a moment. Fear of people can be a real powerful thing, right? We just saw it in Acts chapter 9. They were afraid of him. Because there's, there's some things on the table we got to decide about. 15 years, over the next 15 years, are we going to be here in this geographical location? Or are we going to relocate where the church owns property? I'm afraid, I'm afraid that I'm not doing a good job reaching the next generation. It seems kind of plateaued in our giving. We've plateaued in our attendance. We've plateaued, it seems, in the number of children that we're reaching. And God, I'm, af I'm afraid. Can I just say it? I'm afraid? Because I feel like I'm not doing a good job. And that's when he brought me back to 1 Peter. I'm, I'm really, I'm maybe not this, I'm sorry, this comes, but I, I'm just saying I need your help. And then Acts 9.31 comes right back up. And here's what I'm asking God to help me. Fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I think the picture is this. A church has got to have both. Fear of the Lord. What, what is the fear of the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I think it means that you never get over that he's God, he's glorious, he's holy, he's merciful, he's God, and I'm not. Amen. And then the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What's the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus promised when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. 
The comfort of the Holy Spirit is, if as a follower of Jesus, my comfort is he's going to work all things together for good. My sins are atoned for as far as east is from west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. You are commissioned. You are to go to the nations. They might kill you, but I'm with you to the end of the age. So I think this is what can happen in church life. We've got to walk in both. What happens if you only have one? What is this illustrating? <laughs> what happens, y'all? Stay in one place. That can work both ways. But walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit multiplied. Walk in compassion. Walk in courage. Walk in commissioning. I'll give you a couple of specific things that we're aiming to do. I've talked with the deacons uh, about this at our September meeting. And in light of the fact that I need help, we want to put a couple of teams together. One's a vision team. One's a feasibility team. But it's really this is about the whole church. They're just going to be smaller groups that uh, you're going to have opportunity to talk to, listen to, get some feedback on some of these decisions that we do need to make. Uh, I think it's next Sunday at our uh, monthly church conference, we'll seek to approve those teams so that they can get to work. And really, right at the start of 2024, we'll start uh, laying out some of these things that we'll need to do. And what I want to lay before you is this is going to kind of be a process. It'll probably take the next 12 months or so. But I want you to know what I want to take the time this morning is to lay out for you that everything we do, this is our compass. Do you know what I'm saying? Compassion, courage, commissioning. Acts 9.31. I'm over here in Philippians 1. I've got to go back. Would you look at me with it? I know we've read it. So, in light of the fact that they continued to believe that God can transform anybody's life, in light of the fact that somebody in the church took the initiative, took the time, took the, took the resources, took his life to take and bring Paul into the fellowship, in light of the fact that they preached boldly, they don't compromise what the gospel is, and they go out, they come in together, they go out together in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and going to unbelievers of a different culture, even though it threatened their lives, in light of that, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and was being built up. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So in conclusion, compassion, courage, commissioning is the evidence of the Spirit at work. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you to sincerely and humbly pray that we really are walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing together. I'm going to pray together and respond together. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you allow me the grace for a moment to do a little bit of, or maybe not a little bit, a lot of shepherding? What is true of the church at large can only be true if it's the reality in your life. So with your head bowed for a moment, can I ask you this? Do you have deep peace in your life? Unshakable peace? Kind of an anchor point in your soul is the peace of God. And right now, if you really take inventory of your life, if you were to answer the question, where are you? Would one of the ways you'd be able to say where you are is you're being built up. You are maturing. You are becoming more compassionate, more courageous, more living on mission in the world. If not, 
Give God room in your life to say, well, you're, you're lacking compassion or you're lacking in courage. You're lacking an understanding that you're to make disciples. And then are you walking? Walking is the New Testament verb that just means your, your uh, day-to-day life, the regular pattern of your life. Are you walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Father, we want to be a people who love the Lord Jesus. And one of the great, the greatest motivator of rejoicing in our life is that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We pray for our church. From your perspective. From your perspective. We're being led by the Holy Spirit. Would you increase, increase our humility and prayerfulness? We'd be clothed with humility. You'd give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Put teams together that seek your face. Even in this moment, I pray you would uh, enlarge the praying heart of Calvary Baptist Church. That we would leverage uh, the next five, seven, 15 years for the furtherance of the kingdom in our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's seek the Lord together.
My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. I praise God for what He's done. Amen. Would you be seated? A couple things, and then we'll pray for uh, the gospel opportunities going out from the Gospel Coalition. Uh, out in the foyer, we've done this for a couple of years in a row now as a church family, have a kind of Advent or Christmas devotional that we read through. This year's is called Gifts of Grace. It's by the author Jared Wilson. So we do have some copies in the foyer. They're about, not about, they're $10 each. And there's a basket there. If you just put the $10 down, you can take a copy. You might want to order it and have it shipped to you. I'm just trying to let everybody know about it ahead of time so that you've got a copy in your hands when we hit December. Uh, And this will be one of the ways as a church family we set our uh, hearts on Christ in uh, the Christmas season. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go on and ask everybody to stand. And can we get the Edwards family? I didn't talk to you all about this ahead of time. If you all come stand over here. And then uh, Jimmy and Lori, if you all come stand over here as just kind of representatives, as it were, to our efforts with Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Jason and Sugar Edwards kind of going to head up this week. Uh, as our, our church is a collection center, and the hours for the collection center are right there in your bulletin, um, as people from all over our area are going to bring shoe boxes, and then, of course, Jimmy and Lori here as those who spearhead our efforts to put these boxes together. Now what I'm going to invite the rest of the church family to do is we're going to come around them and I pray with them and for them and what we've got going on this, uh, this coming week. Every, uh, we talked about this yesterday. Um, and and if, if some of y'all kind of standing near those shoe boxes and just pick them up and just kind of hold them, we pray, pray in, that, in that way. We're talking yesterday at our party that each one of these boxes that we've put together and then that'll come from all over is, is actually going to be put in the hands of a child somewhere in the world. I'm going to go all over the place. These boxes will go to more countries than, than we'll ever be able to get, get to. And they're going to have the gospel and gifts of uh, kindness and grace in them. Let's pray together. Father, now we're going to ask a few specific things. First of all, we pray that there will be many children who receive a shoebox, hear the gospel, and believe. We ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit will use what they receive to bring them to an understanding and awareness of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he has promised, those who repent and believe. Second, we pray for our church, specifically the Collection Center, that uh, we'll be quick to volunteer and there will not be a single moment as Jason and Sugar head up this week that they say to themselves, we need more help in here. You'll provide exactly what is needed. Thank you for the privilege, the opportunity it is for us as a church family to, to leverage this week to collect and then to send out. And now, Father, in light of what we studied this morning from Acts Thank you for the blessing of gathering in. And now would you give us grace as we go out for us to understand we now go out to boldly, compassionately, courageously proclaim the gospel when it's awkward, when it's uncomfortable, because we desire above all things to be obedient to Jesus because we love him more than anybody or anything. Thank you for my church and pray that your spirit, well, we pray that we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.